0: verse 6 who though he was in the, in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men this morning I want to introduce our, our sermon or introduce a new series that we're going to be going through and it's called um, one-of-a-kind. God has created us a a one-of-a-kind person. Every person in the room today is one-of-a-kind. And uh, we're going to be exploring what looks like, for us as believers, what it looks like to live as one. We're a a one-of-a-kind creation for God. We are a a a one-of-a-kind church for God. And we are called out to be a community of of one-of-a-kind people collectively using our one-of-a-kind gifts or a one-of-a-kind savior. Is that enough one-of-a-kinds? Did you get them all? So we're going to explore what that looks like for us as believers today to live as one. But first, we need to talk a little bit about of our, our American independence here. Um, we're going to have to explore the core values of what Christianity is versus what an American is. You see, at the core values of our American culture, we are taught from an early age to be absolutely self-sufficient. Who would agree with that? Right? That's the American culture. You are self-sufficient. Do you realize in Christianity, you are exactly opposite of self-sufficient. You are completely needful of the Christian community around you. God created you to need others. God created you to not be alone. Remember when Adam was created? He saw Adam and he said, it is not good for man to be. And yet in American culture, how much of the time are we trying to work ourselves to be by ourselves? To be alone. I can't wait till I retire so I don't have to put up with anybody. Right? I can't wait, to, I can't wait till I'm done with this group setting because I can't wait to just go home, sit on my couch, and be all by my... Yeah, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. He made a help meet. He gave him a wife. Not only did he give him a wife, what else did he eventually give him? A family and other families and groups of people and nations. And he builds it out into this community of relationships. But we're taught from an early age to be self-sufficient. We're told to fend for ourselves. That that's a sign of strength and maturity, isn't it? When you can fend for yourself. Spiritually speaking, when you fend for yourself, how do you do? It's neither spiritual nor mature. So it's backwards again. Those who can't go it alone are viewed as weak or at least less capable than those who can. Then we also value our independence and individualism almost above everything else. But we were not created to live that way. God did not create us to be individuals. He didn't create us to live the way we want to live. He created us to be unique for him on purpose with a job to do. So it may feel counterintuitive, but the truth is we're created and called to live in a community. Let me say it again. We have been created and called to live in a community of people. The book of Genesis, God creates man and then says, it's not good for him to be alone, Genesis 2.18. Not just because he might be lonely or need a buddy, but because God wired us to do life with other people. Your hobbies, think of your hobbies. Most people do hobbies because they have friends that are in the same hobby they're in. Why do we have clubs today? Because people don't wanna do hobbies by themselves. So there's all kinds of clubs. There's antique car collector clubs. There's train clubs. There's airplane clubs. There's sewing and knitting clubs. There's a whole slew of clubs you never even knew about. Tractor clubs. And you know what? Anything that man can be interested in, I'm sure there's animal clubs out there even. Anything that man can be interested in, we want to form a club in it. Why? Because we want to be in in part of a community bigger than ourselves. Because God wired us that way. But when it comes to spiritual things, we take the world's philosophy on it rather than God's. We don't want to share our sin because then people might think that we're sinners. Got a secret. It's out. All have sinned. Right? Well, if they knew what kind of sin I committed, they would judge me and condemn me. Uh, Guess what? You're already condemned. The Bible says you're condemned already. And all these things Satan uses in our lives in the American culture to get us to a point where we think and we actually begin to believe that if we actually follow God's word and shared these things that would actually unite us, we believe that if we share these things, it will actually divide us. And we take what's right and call it wrong. And we take what's wrong and call it right. And what day is that when it comes to Bible prophecy? It's one of the signs of the end times. And at a time when the church can justify why it can be apart rather than together, aren't you glad for live stream? It allows me to be part of the church but not part of the church. It allows me... And you know what? I love Livestream. When I'm out of town, I love watching it. But, but Livestream is not church. You're watching church, but let me ask you two questions. One, who are you fellowshipping with? And number two, who are you serving? There's the problem with Livestream. So it allows you to get the word, yeah. And if you're into the consumer mentality of church today, which by the way is counter Bible, because Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life, if we're consuming and taking all the time, is that the spirit of Jesus? Who is the spirit of consuming? Hey, there's fruit. It looks good to eat. You should partake of that fruit. It's good for you. Whose philosophy was that? That was Lucifer's. And the consumer mentality of of ministry today is is one that's born out of the seed of Satan, not out of God's Word. It's exactly opposite of the character of God, it's exactly opposite of the Word of God. So we have to be careful. Now, can God use live stream? Yes. And there's people watching it. We have almost as many people watch live stream that are in the building on any given Sunday. And praise the Lord, that's a tool that God can use. But you know what's better? Being part of the church being involved in discipling other people, serving other people, doing the work of the ministry. Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life. So in the book of Genesis, we're introduced to this idea of community because God creates Eve to go with Adam. And then he tells them, be fruitful and multiply. And we see mankind begins to exponentially grow. But the problem is most of us If we were to be honest with ourselves this morning, most of us do not want to be part of community. We don't like accountability and we are actually to some degree anti-community, especially when it comes to spiritual things. If we begin to open our heart to other people about spiritual things, they become part of our life, don't they? Isn't this the core essence of discipleship? If I open my life to somebody else, now they got not only the ability to speak truth into my life, but what else can they do? They can hold me accountable. They can encourage me, they can challenge me, they can say things to me that that are gonna make me uncomfortable. Many times we don't wanna be part of a community because number one, we don't understand what being part of a community is because we grew up in individualism. But number two, sometimes we don't wanna be part of a community a community because we've been trained to do life independently. We wanna do our own thing and we've been trained to do it that way. And number three, we don't wanna do community because, well, the reality is we don't know what we're missing out on. You don't know what you don't know. And the Bible is clear that God wants us to be part of a community. We don't know how to do life in community is the number one reason why people don't join communities. How many of you are part of a club? Anybody part of a club of some sort? Couple of you? You know, why did you join the club? You wanted to do things with other people intentionally. That's why you joined a club. How many of you have ever gone to a club meeting where you're the only person that showed up? I remember the old Napa commercial. Um, Napa put out a commercial with Michael Waltrip as their spokesman, he's a NASCAR driver. And it's talking about all the glory of racing and the fans, the crowds, the stuff. And Michael Waltrip is standing at a track with his helmet in his hand. There's no car, nothing else there, just him and his helmet. And he goes, I was so excited for the weekend and then I realized I'm at the wrong track. And everything that he loved about racing wasn't there, except for him. And you know what? Sometimes that's what it feels like when you're in a community and nobody else shows up and you're the only one that shows up Well, it's kind of like teaching sometimes, isn't it? You schedule a meeting, people are gonna come and then nobody shows up. It's kind of a a bad deal. We are made to be part of a community. You interview that teacher when nobody shows up and they're kind of sad, why? Because they did all this work and all this prep to help you who are supposed to be there and then when you don't come, what good is it? It's kind of deflating. You know why? Because we are built for community. We are built to pour into other people's lives and be involved in their lives. So we don't know how to do life in a community and as a result, most of us are far too focused on being individuals and that individualism is robbing us of some things. Number one, it robs us of joy. How many people do you know are missing joy in their life today? And if they're missing joy, I can probably tell you one thing is true they're living life by themselves. Other people are not part of their regular life. They have isolated and insulated themselves to where their joy is being robbed. And if, if, if that's not the case, then they're missing strength or they're missing hope because those are the three most needed areas in a person's life. Do you know what the average American struggles with today? Joy, hope, and the ability to do something. Joy, hope, and the ability to do something. If you interview a lot of people who retire and sit down on a couch, there's three things they're lacking in their life. Purpose, direction, and drive. Purpose, direction, and drive. When you lose purpose, how do you feel? When you don't know where you're going in life, when you lose direction, how does that make you feel? By the way, all three of those are spiritual Spiritual things. Who gives purpose to life? Jesus Christ. Who gives direction and mission in life? And who gives you the drive to do it? So, all these are characteristics of the Holy Spirit of God in a believer's life. And when we're lacking these things, that tells me a couple things. One, we're out of the habit of doing community together and we're doing life alone. Two, we're not plugged into the Word of God and we're struggling spiritually. And three, you don't know what you don't know. You're willfully ignorant in the area of what it means to be part of a community. And that's what the series that we're starting today is going to be all about. It's all about teaching us what community is. And for the next several weeks, we're going to explore what that looks like and what that means in an individual way, in a corporate way, and then in a ministry way. And we're going to take a look at those three things. But this morning, it's important for us to realize that we were made for community. God designed us to work with other people. It's not good for us to be alone. We were uniquely created to be part of a community through, and through that community, we are called to transform the world for Jesus Christ. This means that We learn to do life together, and we need to learn to do life with others. So let's dig in this morning and begin to look at this. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever discovered one of the reasons you struggle to connect with other people? Sometimes it's not them. It's us. You ever notice that? Sometimes it's not the other people's problem. Sometimes it's us. Listen to what the verse says. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good what? Christians should do good works. If you're a Christian, the byproduct of being a Christian is that you do good works. You can't do good works before you're a Christian because, well, who defines what good is? God. And if you're not a follower or believer of God, then why would you do God's work? You're not going to. You're going to do things that please yourself or that you benefit from rather than doing things that would benefit others. So God says this, if we are his workmanship or since we are, if you're a Christian, since you are God's workmanship, since you're a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus, you will be doing good works. And the question is good works for who? Good works is defined by Jesus Christ, which God prepared beforehand that we should, say it together, we should walk in them. So let's ask the question this morning, how are you walking in the things that God ordained for you to be doing before you were saved? When God called you, he called you for a specific purpose and for his specific plan. And what are you doing with that purpose and plan that God gave to you before you were saved. And I said, have you ever discovered the reason that you struggle to connect with others is not them, but rather it's you. Let me let me give an illustration of this. Because this takes some honest thinking and, and some honest reasoning. Multiple failed relationships in your life. You ever notice how many times it's always the other person's problem? But yet, how many of you did fractions in school? In fractions, there's this thing called the common denominator, right? And when you realize what the common denominator is, it allows you to fill in the rest of the equation. And when you look at some people's lives and you look at the multiple failed relationships, whether that be marriage, whether it be with their siblings, whether it be with their kids or whether it be with their parents, you look at these things, sometimes the common denominator is not them, but well, if you look at them backwards, You kind of get the word right there, don't you? Me. The problem's me. Multiple jobs ending badly. Can't find a place to connect. Oh man, if I've heard that one a lot in in my 21 years of ministry, I just can't find anywhere to connect. I just don't feel like I belong. Are you a Christian? Then you belong. Are you part of a family? Then you belong here. You're accountable. You know, when you got saved, you joined the family of God. You joined a local church. You joined local believers called out in a location to do the will of God. And when we don't do the will of God, guess what you're going to feel like? Guess when you're not part of a fellowship or a group of people meeting together, guess what you're going to feel like? And I wish I had a tape recorder so when these people come into my office and tell me these things, that I could wait five years and play it back to them when their family's ruined their life is ruined, they're not going to church anywhere, and they're divorced, and you just want to hit play. I just feel like we don't belong. There's nowhere for us to be. So instead what they do is they go shop churches, they don't land in any church, because they can't find a perfect church. And as soon as they quit going to church altogether, guess what begins to happen to their family life? It erodes and is destroyed. And some of you are shaking your heads because you know the names of people that that's exactly what happened to them. And God said, I gave you a church so that wouldn't happen to you. I've given you a group of people. And, and when we neglect the church, when we neglect that, that community that God intentionally has placed in our life, you will struggle in the area of connecting. You will struggle in the area of belonging and your church will be deficient in an area that you are strong because your gifts are, are not part of that ministry. And you actually make the church weaker than stronger by you not being here than when you are here. And that's what the Bible is teaching. First Corinthians, we read it together. Go back and reread that after the message today and you're going to find out that what I'm preaching is actually 1 Corinthians 1, not Ephesians 2 and not Philippians 2. Because it's the gifts that we have that make us who we are. Now, I'm not saying there's not times... Um, that others have left and, and, and have rejected for a good reason. There are churches that teach false doctrine. Should you ch- stay in a church that is propagating things that are opposite of what the Bible actually says? No. But if you're in a church and they're teaching the Bible and, and they're doing what God's word says and you don't fit, the question you have to ask is, why am I not fitting? What's in my life preventing me from doing what God's called me to do? Because he called us, to serve others. Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to... Are you like Christ? If so, who are you ministering to? So it really comes down to this question. What am I? What are you? And how does it impact my life? That's three questions, but one question. Because it's really contemplating one's the cause and effect, right? Right? If I don't know who I am, then I don't know who you are. And if I don't know who you are, it doesn't matter how it impacts my life, right? I don't care. But if I know who I am and I know who you are, then is there a consequence that's going to impact my life? Is there something that's going to impact my life as a result of me defining who I am and me defining who you are scripturally? Is there a consequence then for me as a believer? And the answer is yes. And let me give you the short answer. If you're a masterpiece created for God's purpose, then all these three questions are easily definable. And you are a masterpiece today. If you're a Christian, well, let me fix that. If you're vertical and breathing today, you're a masterpiece. Because how many men were created in the image of God? That means every unsaved person you interact with this week is a masterpiece of God. Man, we don't look at people that way, do we? We don't we don't really... <laughs> Pastor Joe, you are anti-American right now. Well, I'm pro-Bible right now is what I really am. I'm not anti-American. I love America. I love the country we live in. I have a brother serving in the military, and I, I love the fact that We're one of the most blessed nations in the world. But we're only blessed because we started as a Christian nation. God was first. And now that we're beginning to flip that around, and we're placing man first and greed first, and and our wants and our desires rather than the good of all, it's destroying our country. And you know what's destroying our churches today? That same mentality. and It's Americanism snuck into the church rather than God's word being the source of the church. So we're a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. Ephesians 2:10 for we are God's handiwork. The word handiwork there literally means masterpiece, workmanship, perfection. We were created by God, we were created for God, and we're created in the image of God. So how do I act like a masterpiece? What is a masterpiece? Well, number 1, a masterpiece lives up to its purpose. We're a masterpiece created on purpose for a purpose. That means this, we all have jobs to do. As a masterpiece, we have jobs to do because you are a masterpiece. God created you for good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. And he has a job for you to do in his will, in his plan. And one of the greatest ways that we honor God, one of the most greatest ways we live up to our purpose is to do the job that we were created to do. A lot of and most guys get this. When you do a good job, what do you step back and do? I did that. I I made that. Now, did you really make it? You created it out of nothing? No. You took everything that's existing and you put something together. You assembled it, you didn't create it, you assembled it, and by putting it together you call it perfection. It's a masterpiece. It is a spectacle of my work. It's something that I did, right? A vintage car. Some of you see vintage cars and when you see cars, what do you see? Masterpiece, right Dave? A good antique car is a masterpiece, right? It's a work of art. But you don't use a 59 Chevy to drive a soccer team around. The 59 Chevy comes out for what events? Parades, car shows, car clubs, right? Those are special events because it's a one of a kind car. It's restored. It's beautiful. Soccer events and, and baseball events are for minivans and pickup trucks, not for 59 Chevys. You know, it's like a vintage guitar sitting on display and you see a six-year-old with an ice pick. And the guitar, all the guitar guys are like, no! Right? An old Les Paul or something like that. It's a masterpiece. It's beautiful. You don't, you don't want people touching it. You don't want people handling it, messing it up. Imagine you had the original Mona Lisa. Valuable. Actually, you don't have it. Somebody else does. And you happen to walk in their house and you go over and you start talking to their pet cockatiel and you look in the bottom of the cage and there's the original Mona Lisa. What would you say to that person? What are you thinking? Do you know what that's worth? I can tell you what it's worth to the bird. It's putting its droppings on it. I can tell you what it's worth to the person that's stuck it in the bird gauge. Not really much. Its value is in who? The eyes of the one that matters. To a collector of art, the Mona Lisa. To a guy who doesn't give a rip about cars, where's the 59 Chevy? Not in his garage, not in his house, not in his backyard. It's in the junkyard. I had one of those once, right? You see, a masterpiece has value according to the person who gives it value. To artist, art has value. To a person who's not an artist, what is art? To a person who loves music, music is valuable. But to somebody who doesn't like music, what is music? You know, you watch the, I don't even know which awards they have. Are they the Grammy, Emmys, or, or whatever? I don't even know, that, I could care less. Isn't it ironic a bunch of people in America like to get together who are all celebrities already and then celebrate that they're celebrities? And then they award themselves for the great job they did to themselves? I, only in America does that make sense. But you know what? The New Testament sends, spends so much time talking about things that Jesus followers shouldn't do, but it gives just as much time to what Jesus believers should do. It recognizes that we are masterpieces. It recognizes that we are special on purpose. And if we're special on purpose, then we have a job to do. And then, what are we created for? What is the job? What is the purpose of life? You know, we can we we're, we're called to represent Jesus, right? What does that mean? Represent Jesus how? Well, in how we treat others, in in how we have conversations with other people, with how we manage our time, how we take care of the resources and things that God gives to us, our body, the possessions we have, the vehicles we have, the tools that God has given to us. What do you have today that God doesn't want you to have? You see, if we're going to be a masterpiece, if we're going to live up to our purpose, then we need to ask ourselves, how am I representing Jesus today? What am I doing for Jesus Christ? This week, in my calendar, on my schedule this week, what slots do I have for the work of Jesus Christ? What am I intentionally doing for Christ? Now let me flip it around. Take your schedule this week and what are you doing for yourself? What activities are you doing by yourself? And when you do things by yourself, how is that moving forward, the ministry that God's called you to be as a masterpiece of his? You see, it's, it's easy to think in, in big picture, but when we personally apply it, and we take the principles of God word and apply it, our Americanism is blocking our spirituality in many areas. We should never think what we're doing doesn't matter. When we represent Jesus Christ, wherever we are, we are to be a living masterpiece for him. We should be shedding light where there's darkness. Even doing your job at work, you find yourself uh, fulfilling in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether therefore we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do for the glory of God, an audience of one. You go to work and you say, well, my boss is a real jerk and I just don't feel motivated to do a great job for him. Well, then don't go to work for him. Go to work for Jesus Christ and do the best that you can do. God's called us to be different on purpose. He's called us to impact other people around us for his glory. So if we need purpose in life to go to work, then do it for no other reason than the fact that you're a called out person of God 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 has given to you the ability to go into a workplace that nobody else can get into. Most of your jobs today, if I showed up there and wanted to come back and be where you are at work, there's probably security, there's probably signs, there's probably things that say for employees only, right? You're a missionary in a mission field, I can't go. So the reality of you being the only Jesus some people are gonna see is real. And what Jesus are you representing? But not only does God call us a masterpiece, but this was the hard pill to swallow. I think the harder one. God calls everybody else a masterpiece too. Saved and unsaved. And if they're masterpieces, what does that mean for me? Just as we're creating the image of God, so is every other person that we interact with. So how do we treat others? As a Christian, how do we talk to other people? Stop and just think for a minute. We love the idea that we're a masterpiece and we love how we're made in the image of God. But if that is true, so is every other person on the planet Earth today. Vladimir Putin is a masterpiece of God. Agree or disagree? Think about that. Every Muslim on the planet of the Earth today is a masterpiece of God. Agree or disagree? So then how do we view them? Do we view them as masterpieces of God? Do we treat them, do we try to real? You see, doing life in community only works when we realize that we're made in the image of God and when we recognize that everybody else is made in the image of God too. Now I can treat others with dignity and respect. Now I can approach other people in the same way I would want to be approached. Now I can share with others as I would want others to share in my life. That's why the New Testament is not only full of things that we should avoid, but it's also full of things that we should do for others. Now go back to Philippians 2. I want you to see this passage in light of what we just recognized. So if you are a masterpiece and everybody around you is a masterpiece and they have value, they have work, then Paul is writing to this church and he says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now, now let's define some terms here, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition, partisanship, jockeying for position, campaigning, manipulating others to get what you want. Do we live in a world that's selfish ambition? Do we work in workplaces where there's selfish ambition? Do we live in a political system where there's selfish ambition? Do we live among other believers where there's selfish ambition? Yeah. Jesus says, don't do things motivated out of this. This is not how Christians live their lives. It's not about me, what I want, what I get. And here's the sad part is, sometimes God will give you what you want. Remember when Israel wanted a king, what did, it, what did they get? But God also, with that king, warned them, didn't he? He said, if I give you a king, there's going to be consequences. And the consequences are going to far outweigh the benefits. But instead, they wanted a king, just like all other nations had a what? You got to be careful what we wish for. God might actually give it to you. So don't do anything out of selfish, selfish ambition do nothing out of vain conceit. Wow, that's a neat word. What does conceit mean? Selfish ambition and vanity are the status quo in most cultures today. For those who love Jesus, Paul says, no, that's not how a masterpiece treats a masterpiece. We, we don't use vain conceit. We don't, we don't use selfish ambition as reasons to do what we're going to do. But instead, what is Humility. Instead, we need to learn to value others above ourselves, Place others' interest in front of our own interest. Be involved in other people's lives with intentionality to be able to reach them or share the gospel with them or to be part of their life to impact them for Jesus in some way. By the way, this is exactly what Jesus did. You study the life of Christ, he injected himself into people's lives. Remember when the disciples wanted to go around Samaria? And Jesus said, no, we must need to go through Samaria. Why did they have to go through Samaria? Because there was a woman at a well that Jesus was going to inject his life into. All throughout the story of Jesus Christ, you see where God is allowing Jesus to inject himself into people's relationships. By the way, that is the core essence of what Philippians 2 is all about, isn't it? The fact that mankind was going about doing his own selfish thing, living in sin, stuck in sin, and that God in his love towards us and while we were still sinning sent his son to do what for us? To die for us. Let's go back to Philippians 2, look at five through seven. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count himself equal with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself took on the form of a servant, placed others higher than himself, and was born in the likeness of men. Why did Jesus Christ come? To be served or to serve? Did he come to take or did he come to give? And you see, this is exactly opposite of our American philosophy. I'm going to church so I can see what I can get from the church and see what I can consume from them. Really? Really? Are we that immature in our faith that we need to be spoon-fed by others? We go to church so we can serve others, so we can do for others what needs to be done so that we can have a community of bearing one another's faults, praying for one another. The effectual, fervent prayer of righteous people avails much. I go to church to share my burden. I go to church to, to worship with other people to know that I'm not the only one out there like Elijah was. I'm not the only one out there serving God by myself. The way a masterpiece treats other masterpieces is by making yourself a humble servant like Jesus was. And you know the best way to do this? Go back to your purpose. Go back to the job that you've been given. Reflect Jesus back to the world by serving others. One of the greatest things that you'll do is when you serve others, is you'll find out that there's a part in it That somehow God spins that back around again and blesses you by blessing others. And the more you bless others, the more God blesses you back. So, how do we reflect Jesus back to the world by serving others? Well, it's pretty easy. Moms, you can show this to your kids by serving them. Husbands, you can serve your wife. How are you serving her? Wives, you can serve your husband. How are you serving him? At your workplace, how are you serving? Are you doing it for the glory of God? Or are you doing it just to get a paycheck, to get to retirement, to get the, you know, whatever? In your neighborhood, how are you serving your neighbors? How do they perceive you? In the marketplace, how are you serving them? How about this one? Online, what's our testimony online? Who do people see as we post our post and say what we say? You see, God created us to be a masterpiece. Every one of us is creating the image of God, which makes them masterpieces too. So if we're going to be one, if we're going to get to our community right, then we have to recognize that we're all masterpieces and we need to act like it. So let me give you three things in conclusion, three steps to take away from today. Step number one, pray that God will help you realize the masterpiece you are in him because this doesn't come by accident. I don't accidentally learn that I'm a masterpiece. I have to be told that. Ask God to reveal to you the worth that he has for you and the ministry that he wants you to have. Step number two then, is ask him to help you see others the way that he sees them. So step number one, Pray that God will help you realize the masterpiece you are. Step number two, ask him to help you see others the way that he sees them. How can you serve others? How can you serve other masterpieces and treat them the way that they should be treated? And then step number three, start serving today. You don't have to wait for a perfect time, perfect place. You don't have to wait until you feel like it. To serve others. You can do it today. And if we're going to find unity and we're going to be one, then it's important for us to realize or to recognize ourselves and others as masterpieces created by God to be together. And when I see that now, I don't have to deal with the personality. I don't have to deal with anything else. That's God's issue. But I can view everybody as a masterpiece and everybody is worthy of discipleship or the gospel. And when we live that way, do you think that affects other people around us? Is that going to bring them up or knock them down? It's going to bring them up in Christ. And when you've got people growing together in Christ, there comes a camaraderie with that. There's an excitement with that that radically transforms your outlook on life. I don't have to go to church on Sunday. I get to go to church on Sunday. I want to go to church on Sunday. I want to go speak truth into somebody's life. I want to go encourage somebody else. It's very rarely that I ever come up here in front and go, man, I can't wait to preach this message to me. This is probably the best one I've ever written. And I can't wait to read it to myself. What good is that? Do I have the knowledge of this stuff already? Sure. I went to school for this. But if I were to keep it to myself, you'd call me what? Selfish. So if I keep spiritual things to myself, why is that selfish? But if we keep spiritual things to ourself, it's called protection. It's called comfort. No, let's call it what God calls it. We need to esteem others more important than who? Ourselves. American culture is not this way. I'm going to admit to you, it is exactly opposite of what community tells us today. And yet, how ironic is it that the government wants everyone to pay their fare because we're a community? You know what? You should be accepting of everybody even those who are opposite of your values and views, because we're all part of a community. You see, Americans use community when it's advantageous to them. That's that consumer mindset. And by the way, that's the mindset that's been put in the churches now. So unless they have what I want the church to have, then then I really don't feel like I belong there. And you know what I'm going to say to that? Baloney. I can think of other words to say. Because what if God's calling you to start that ministry where you are, and you're using that as an excuse not to do what God's called you to do? That's what community does. If there's something deficient in your church, and you can see it, then God's burning you to do it. And if the others don't see it, guess who he's not calling to do it? But if we see a need and we choose to ignore it when it's for the betterment of God's ministry, let me ask you a question. Who are you serving? The Bible says he that knoweth to do good and doesn't do it, it's called what? It's sin. You're missing the mark. I've placed you where you are to do a ministry that I've called you and chose you to do. And if it doesn't get done, whose fault is it? Well, it's God. He's just not powerful enough. If he was powerful, he could fix it. Well, maybe he is powerful enough and he's empowering you to fill that position, but you won't do it because, number one, you're afraid you volunteer, you're stuck there forever. Which, by the way, if that happens, shame on you. Because who did you disciple to replace yourself? Who have you brought along that could share the load of the ministry in that position? So if that's the case, shame on you for not discipling somebody. But number two, if you fulfill that ministry in the church, then find another one to start. Find another place to be a minister. Jesus came not to be ministered unto. If your diet is simply going to church on Sunday morning and consuming, then you are a weak, anemic Christian. Not my words, God's. But when you are part of a community of believers working together for the cause of Christ, for the glory of God, you can't help but know who you are. You're a masterpiece. You can't help but know what other people are. They're his masterpiece too, and he wants them to be saved, and he wants them to grow in Christ. And number three, that automatically gives you a community that you've been called to to use the gifts that you have for the glory of God. If you do it for the glory of God, what are the odds that it'll benefit others around you? You're created to, and called to live in a community. And if that community is lacking something, maybe you're the solution to that community. Maybe your passion, your, your eyesight, your vision for what's lacking is actually your calling. And by trying to point out why you want to get away from that, you're not running from that situation. You're actually running from God's will. Plausible? Probable? Especially in the world that we live. But, here's the good news. You can change that in one decision. Same prayer Jesus prayed. Not my will, but your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that it is quick it's powerful. I thank you that we can read it, we can know it, we can heed it. And God, you have opened to us doors of opportunities in our lives every day that we can be a witness, an impact, and a minister for you. Father, you've placed unsaved and saved people in our lives that we can disciple, we can be part of their lives, we can come alongside them and encourage them. And Father, I thank you for the many that, that we can come along and who have come along in their faith, and their growing in Christ. But Father, I also know, for as many that are growing, there are as many out there that are struggling in their spiritual walks. And Father, those that struggle the most are the most isolated when they isolate and insulate themselves from the church. And Father, they feel like nobody cares. They feel like they don't belong. They feel like there's no ministry from them because, Father, the the reality is that's true. They've taken them and made me out of it. And Father, when we isolate ourselves, we are not doing what you've designed us and called us to do. So Father, help us to see the needs around us. Help us to see the ministry opportunities, the discipleship opportunities, the evangelism opportunities. Because Father, the fields are white in the harvest, but the labors are few. And Lord, if we're in our self-consuming, self-interested mindset, we will miss every opportunity to serve others because there's absolutely nothing in it for us. But Father, then we've got to be honest and look and say, what was in it for you to have us become part of your family? And the reality is we don't really add nothing to your family. We add liability, we, we, we add sin, we add a disgrace to your name. We do and claim your name and then live like the world are actually not helping your cause at all. It's actually hurting that cause. And yet, Father, you loved us enough that you overlooked all those things and still wanted us part of your family. And Father, may we learn to view others as you view others. You view us all as masterpieces created in your image. And Father, when we look at it that way, how can we not be involved in the lives of other people for your glory? So Father, as we kick off this this series of messages on unity, Father. I pray that we would see that each one of us are a masterpiece. Each one of us have been called to do something for you in the community of the church and as a representative of your family. And Father, in the weeks to come, as we dig deeper into this subject, as we like deeper into the roles and responsibilities and goals and, and opportunities that you give to your followers, I pray, Father, that it doesn't constrict us and it doesn't, it doesn't really convict us to where we run away, but that, Father, we see the opportunity of ministry in front of us and we run towards it with great expectation and hope because you're still working through your word. You're still changing people's lives and you're still adding to your church daily such as should be saved. And, Father, if we're not seeing that, then maybe we are the common denominator, not you. We are blocking you from ministering through us. And Father, may we get those obstacles and those roadblocks out of our life so that we can live for an audience of one and we can glorify you to everybody around us. Father, help us to see the unity that is there in a strong church bonded together, doing the work for others' benefit is a far more healthy church than a large church or a small church that is just consuming everything that's being given. Lord, help us to see the ministry as you saw it. Fields went into harvest. You wept when you looked at Jerusalem because they were sheep without a shepherd. And Father, may our hearts see the world around us that are your masterpieces, but are a missing heaven because they're not living up to the value that you've placed on them. So Father, help us to expose that to them this week in your name we pray. All God's people said, Amen.